0: Uh, if this is your first time with us, my name is Andrew. I'm the preaching pastor for Anchor Church. A little bit about who we are. Uh, as a community, we understand that to be part of a church is to take responsibility for a people and a people to take responsibility for you, specifically in terms of discipleship, in terms of life lived in the Gospel, in terms of being fed on the Word of God, in terms of knowing Jesus more deeply and living out the reality and the freedom of His Gospel more passionately. And we are a gospel church. We, we believe in the power of the gospel. We believe the reality that Jesus has come, God Himself, and entered into human history and died in our place to make us free and give us life. And that our whole life is lived in response to that wonderful, wonderful, wonderful truth. And that every facet of our church needs to, 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 to demonstrate that reality. So as a result, we are a simple church with a simple goal, and that is to live that out. Um, I will pray for us. And then we will go ahead and dig into our text. Uh, King Jesus, we do thank you for today. Uh, I thank you for the kids who are joining us family style today uh, and for your grace and mercy in our life. I thank you that we uh, have been afforded uh, and given space by you uh, to meet, to come together, to open your word, to praise your holy name. And I just pray for us as we as we sing and as we eat together and as we we pray together and as we open Your Word, uh, that our aim would be to enjoy You more and more every day, and with our whole life, and that our whole life would be a reflection, a response to the fact that we can't do anything to earn Your love, but on the cross You did everything to forgive us, and the resurrection and sending us Your Spirit, You've given us life, and that we would live in response to that truth, Lord Jesus. God, we love you and we pray these things in your name and for your glory. Jesus Christ, amen. Um, So we've been working our way through the New Testament. We are approaching uh, kind of the biggest task. We're working through a series called God's Word, Our Book. And it's been our aim and our hope and my aim and my hope uh, that as we work through sort of large chunks of Scripture, specifically books, that you own more and more what Mark is about or what Matthew is about or what, today, Luke, Acts one big section is about so that when you read your Bible, when you're reading uh, the different sections of the scripture, that you understand that Luke had something to say and that God has something to say through this word and that this is as applicable for us as the original people who received his gospel. And today we turn to Luke Acts, which, by the way, is 27% of your Bible. Now, why do we do Luke-Acts? Because they're two volumes of one work. Uh, it turns out on a vellum scroll, you can only write so much. Luke is the largest book in the New Testament, and it's pushing the length of what a papyri or a vellum scroll can be, because that's how he wrote it in Greek. Whoop, whoop. Um, so it's two volumes, Luke and Acts. Our problem is, uh, and it's not really a big problem, you just need to be aware of it, when, when they were putting the canon together, when they were putting the books in order, they put the first three that we're kind of finishing up today, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, together, and then John, because John's got kind of a different side of the story, and then Acts, and John between Luke-Acts is a pretty big dash between the two, and it makes them feel like two big separate things, Uh, but what we need to understand is Luke has one message for us in these, and and then we need to see them as a whole, and and I think uh, it's been rightly observed that they're sort of neglected uh, in that fact that that it's like 27% of our New Testament, and you know, when you look at, like, what should I preach this fall? You're like, well, if I preach Luke Acts, this fall's going to go on into fall, you know, 2025 or whatever. Uh, Colossians is nice and short. Let's do Colossians. Uh, but Luke has really big and powerful, important things to say to us here. And specifically, uh, he is trying, like the other gospel writers, by the way, but he is trying to demonstrate for us that Jesus is Messiah who is the culmination of all of world history and that all of world history apexes in the person of Jesus. And not only that, but that because Jesus came, because God Himself entered into human history, because Jesus came, lived, died, and rose, everything is different. Absolutely everything is different. And that for those of us who are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, who believe in Jesus, who know he is God, uh, that should mean that our whole life is radically impacted by the Christ event, the life of Jesus. And that our life is radically impacted by this. This should change the way we do work. This This should change the way we do parenting. This should change the way we do school. This should change the way we do friendship. This should change the way we do life. This should change the way we garden in our backyard, to be totally honest with you. And that the shock waves of the Christ event should be felt. And really, he kind of works that out for us in the book of Acts. Acts is, Acts is the, the, the seismic waves of the Christ event being lived out in the early church. So that we can see that not only has the Messiah come, the culmination of God's plan, but the Messianic age has come. And everything is absolutely different here because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look quickly, because it's family style service, at three things, four things really, that reality that, that he's trying to convey a history about who Jesus is and the impact of that Christ event and the ramifications onto the rest of history. Uh, likewise, he's gonna show us three things, three, three themes, and I think these themes are so serious. And I have so much text, I only have so much text to look at. These three themes are so seriously. You could literally take the text out that I've put here and put new texts in there from these books and see these same themes throughout, and that's namely, uh, God's promise. God made a promise to his people and he made good on that promise in the person of Jesus. God's power, the power of God is displayed in Jesus and the power of God is displayed in the church through the Holy Spirit. And when I say that, I mean, you need to understand and again, how the Christ event changed everything. We're gonna have a pot, I don't know who mentioned it, we have a potluck today. If you didn't bring anything, please still come to the potluck. But when people who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb from different walks of life and different life and different stories sit down and eat together, there is there's something epic happening that's a response to the Christ event uh, that actually has eternal significance. A potluck. Through the Christ event, everything is different. It's the power of God and ultimately the, the program of God. What God is doing in redemptive history, what God is doing in world history. Uh, So if you'd go with me to Luke chapter 1, because I'm dealing with 27% of the New Testament, I may happen to hop around a little bit today. Uh, So I will try and be clear where we are, and I hope, hope you can follow. And the reason we're hopping around is so that you see this story, this history going through these two things. So the Messianic age, he's trying to convey this. Okay, chapter one, verse one. uh, Inasmuch as as many, like John, Matthew, and Mark, uh, have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Okay, I know, I only have so much time, I have 27% of the Bible to preach, I'm going to stop at us. The pronouns, pronoun is uh, he, she, it type word, are really, really important in Luke. So, accomplished among us. Luke was not there for the Christ event. Luke is a Greek physician. He's a careful writer. He's a wonderful, brilliant historian. Uh, and when he says, us, you need to understand that, he sees this as one big story, one big history that he's a part of. And as you read carefully, as you're reading Luke, Acts, because I always want you to read slowly and carefully, as you're reading your Bible, you read it and you realize at some point in time in the middle of Acts, he, goes, he switches from a third person pronoun they did this and he did that to a second person plural we did this and we did that so he comes along on the adventure and he sees himself as wrapped up in the reality of this Christ event why is that important for you you're wrapped up in the Christ event if you're a Christian you're wrapped up in the Christ event the Christ event isn't something that happened in the distant past but something that actually affects your life now today because we too are experiencing the shockwaves of what's happening here one theologian has described the book of Acts as if you took uh, if you took a Shakespeare play that got unearthed, but it only has f- like four and a half of the what do you call a play? Acts. There, are Acts in a play. There we go. Uh, it feels redundant. So it, it's like if you had uh, this Shakespeare play, and you had four and a half. This is somebody else's illustration, by the way. But four and a half acts of that play, and you got a bunch of Shakespeare experts together, and you said, okay. Um, So we have this, but we don't have the end of the play. This is what we have. And we have half of the last act. That's the book of Acts. So how do we live the rest of it out? It demonstrates for us our place in it. It demonstrates for us how we live it out too. Uh, Matthew, or pardon me, Luke is involved in the story. This is what happened among us because it's two volumes. And he's implicated in the story. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses. So he wasn't there when Jesus was crucified. But you know what he did? He interviewed a bunch of them. And ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Who's Theophilus? Nobody knows. When someone starts, like, when someone spends a whole sermon talking about who Theophilus is, be very careful. People, for some reason, when people do Luke Acts they go off and off. We don't know. Know nothing about Theophilus other than he has a Greek name, so he's probably Greek. And that Luke is Greek, and so he probably is writing a Greek two-volume work to his friend who's Greek. That's it. That's all we know. Verse 4, that you may have certainty. Okay, now this one's important. This Greek word here really means to live in and on that found, a foundation, a firm foundation, firm footing, certainty concerning the things that have been taught. The things you've been taught, the things that have been taught about who Jesus and this Christ event because it has this ramification that it's not just some piece of history that lives in the past, but the Christ event, the, the reality of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection has impact on today. That you and I live now in the Messianic age, and as we look at the power, the promise, and the program, how important that is. So these three things we're looking at, the promise, the power, and the program. It's always good when you can find three Ps, and there they are, right? Uh, So you need to see that Christ's event is the fulfillment of the promises of God. Um, Yes. Go with me to Luke chapter 4. So we're in Luke chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 14 on. Uh, Jesus has just uh, sort of defeated Satan in the, the wilderness, quoting Deuteronomy to him. And in 14, we hear this. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. So this is me going into my next topic but it's important to see this this is throughout luke and acts the power of god through the power of the holy spirit so jesus is fully human he's fully god fully divine right fully god but for him to actually come and live in our place and live the life we should have lived and to be able to be as hebrews calls him the faithful high priest and sympathetic to us you need to understand that he's fully human and our problem is in the last hundred years, we spent so much time defending his divinity that he was the son of God that at some point in time, those of us who kind of live in the evangelical camp almost forgot about this whole thing that he was born a baby and that he wasn't, wasn't a normal person, but he was a person and he was fully human. And that, that it doesn't really count for him to live in our place if he's just Superman walking around. He's, he's not Superman. He lives his life dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. You see this throughout the Gospels. He does things like get away to pray. He's full human. He just things. he's hungry. He cries. He gets weak. He sleeps. He's not a robot. He's not Superman. He's fully human. And he does his whole ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you see this when we look at Acts and we read throughout. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And he reported... And a report about him went through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. They thought he was awesome, at least for a minute. But if you read on past where we're going to be, you see that they try and throw him off a cliff. Uh, Verse 16, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, home, home. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. People, the people of God are living in... Judea, it's called Judea now. It's not called Israel for them at this point in history. The guy who's supposed to be the king is a guy named Herod. He's an Edomite. He does horrible, horrible, horrible things. Well, by the time we get to this point, it's a different, I think it's a different Herod, right? In his birth, it's Herod, this Edomite. It's this other Herod in this line. There's this whole line of these puppet governors named Herod and they're really hard to track. Which Herod are we talking about? But they're all not awesome. They're all the opposite of awesome. They're all horrible. Romans are in charge. Pontius Pilate is ruling. Everything's gone south. People can't decide on what it even looks to live, what a life looks like being faithful and following God. Everything is messed up. Everything is a total and complete disaster. And everybody's waiting because God made a bunch of promises. He made a bunch of promises that that someone was going to come and someone was going to deal with sin and someone was going to deal with all of it, right? The the Genesis 3.15 promise that Adam and Eve broke everything and someone was going to come and fix it. Uh, the promises that someone would come and sit on the throne of David and he'd be this awesome priest after the order of Melchizedek. And, and the promises of Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9 that God was going to come uh, and He was going to restore all things. He was going to break the bond of the oppressor. He was going to do these things. And this is one of the drums that all these Gospels are beating. God made some promises and God keeps His promises. The world right now is wrecked with sin. Sin. The world right now is wrecked with selfishness and sickness and death and destruction. And God has made promises to fix all of it. And when Jesus shows up and unrolls the Isaiah scroll and reads from this text, He's saying promises kept. Promises kept. And we know this inaugurated. This is the inauguration of God making good on His promises. From Isaiah 61. And he rolled up the stroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all of the synagogue were fixed on him. No kidding, right? And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of them and marveled at the gracious words which were coming from his mouth. Now please, go home and read the rest, because this thing gets awesome. I digress. Uh, Go with me to Luke 7, 19. Uh, 7, we'll start in verse 18. So we're in 7. So flip, flip. 7, 18. The disciples of John. So John the Baptist. We'll see him in a minute when we talk about the power of God a little bit further. John was this this guy. and, And at this point in time, the, 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 the scriptures have been sort of closed. Uh, as, we, as far as we can tell, the Old Testament canon is sort of shut down. Uh, God has said the things in the way he's going to say through these mighty prophets of old. And, and, and despite the fact that people still think in the second temple period, this time between the end of the prophets and the coming of Christ, that God's still on the move and God's still doing stuff, but everyone's pretty clear, things just aren't the way they used to be. This is nowhere clear in the temple, right? when the temple was built by Solomon, the Ark of the Covenant was there and there was a pillar of smoke by day and fire by night where the presence of God was made manifest in time and space with the people of God. That's gone. They rebuild the temple, right? You can read it for yourself in uh, Ezra. They rebuild the temple and all the young people who were cast out into exile come back like yay we built the temple and they're celebrating and they're partying and they're celebrating so hard they can't hear the weeping of the old men who remember the temple in its glory when they were kids and they'd come and see the manifest presence of god by this pillar of smoke by day and fire by night and they weep and they weep and all of a sudden john the baptist shows up and what's clear from the New Testament, there's something going on with this guy. He's not, he's not like these other guys. There's something about him. He's, he's like one of the old prophets. And people are beginning to say, something's happening. This is one of the prophets of old. God's, God's doing something. And then John being a good gospel preacher, tells Herod he's in sin and he should stop because that's what the Bible says. Not because what John says, it's because what the Bible says. And Herod says, okay, I'm going to throw you in jail because he's in charge. And so this new prophet, this prophet of old, is in jail. It's not going to go well for him in jail, by the way. And so the disciples of John tell him what Jesus is doing. Now, mind you, this is Luke's gospel where it makes clear that John and Jesus are cousins. He knows about Jesus. He knows who he is and he knows what he's up to. And the disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? And as we're going to see in a minute, this is John who baptized Jesus and saw the Spirit of God like a dove descending on him. And he's sitting in jail saying, I don't get it. It doesn't add up. If you're Messiah, why am I in jail? If you're Messiah, why are the Romans in charge? If you're Messiah, why isn't the stuff that the Bible says are going to happen when Messiah gets here? Why hasn't that stuff happened yet? We could say this now, right? Isaiah says sickness is gone. Isaiah says sin will be dealt with. How, Jesus? When? Hear what Jesus says. And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? Are you the guy? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he had bestowed sight. And he answered them, go tell John what you have seen not just what I'm telling you, see the actions that I am doing, the redemptive work I am doing in history as a real person. And heard the blind have received their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. You go tell John what's happening. The kingdom of God is being preached. Sins are being forgiven. Life is being made new. Things are happening. Restorations on the move. We can look around even in our own city, our own time, in our own lives and say, "When Jesus?" And I think the answer is now. And not yet. Right? He's on the move. If if we go through this life in life's hardships, but we live life forgiven by God, loved by God, known by God, and knowing that what He started, He will accomplish. That He is putting everything back the way it's supposed to be. The new heavens the new earth are coming. The resurrection is coming. That Jesus is moving. And God is mighty to save. And I'm a human and not God. John says, Where, wait, are you the guy? And Jesus says, Get with the program. Get with the program. Look around. Uh, Acts 2. Oh, man. This is what I get. We could have preached them as two separate books, but they really just go together well. Acts 2, verse 17. Again, the promises of God. So if you look at what the Old Testament says about this messianic age that's coming. It doesn't just talk about Messiah, it talks about the people of God. Now, now remember, they're in a bad spot. Do you know how they got in a bad spot? By not listening to God. That's how they got in the bad spot they got themselves into, just like Adam and Eve, just like wandering in the desert. Just like the Assyrians coming in 722 in the northern country. Just like 586 when the Babylonians take everybody into exile. Again and again and again they don't listen to God. That's the spot they find themselves in. And again and again and again they say when? Jeremiah 31 31 through 34 says there's a time coming when God deals with our infidelity. And what he does is he gives people a new heart. They no longer have a need to teach their neighbor because God's put this heart that, that will write the Torah on their hearts. And the old covenant was, uh, I will be your God and you will be my people if you walk in my ways. And this new promised covenant that's coming says, I will be your God and you will be my people because I'm going to cause you to walk in my ways. When? Ezekiel says, the dry bones will live. When? Joel says, there's a time when the Spirit of God will be poured out on all flesh. And when you read the Old Testament, you realize the first time the, whole, the, the Holy Spirit comes upon somebody is a carpenter who makes the tabernacle. And it comes upon kings. But you know what you're not going to see in the Old Testament? You're not going to see the preposition in, if you're in a good translation. anyways. You're not going to see the preposition in applied. Have you ever noticed how often the Bible, the New Testament specifically, talks about the Spirit being in, dwelling, living, God's presence with his people. They know there's this time coming that like, if you sit there and imagine, well, I know this cool stuff happened on this carpenter dude one time with the tabernacle thing. But there's this promise that God's going to live with us, dwell with us, be in, inside of us. Honestly, it feels, when I put myself in their shoes on that side of the Christ event, it kind of feels like a pipe dream. What, what are you? The other side of the Christ event, the Holy Spirit was, was at work uh, in Christ and doing things among them, and acts, this clear signal right after Pentecost as the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church. And the preaching of Peter, I'm in Acts chapter two, starting in verse, verse 14, but Peter standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Hey, everybody! Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Now, of course, they're they're speaking in foreign languages at this point in time. They've been given these tongues and they're speaking in foreign languages. So they're telling the gospel. All these people have come to Jerusalem. Uh, They've come on this special day. And it seems that something has happened where the Holy Spirit's now empowered them to preach the gospel in all kinds of different languages. That's why he says the thing about being drunk here. And he says. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Come on. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel in chapter 2, if you want to check it out. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see vision. And your old men shall see dreams even on my male servants and my female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor and smoke and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day the Lord comes. The great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass: Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a lot going on in those promises. A, that God's going to come and dwell with us, right? If the sign was Emmanuel in in, uh, in Isaiah seven, called name Emmanuel it so culminates and fulfills in Jesus who comes and dwells in us. And I have to skip ahead next week to John. And John says, it's and John Jesus it's better that I go because the helper's going to come. It's better that I leave. My presence leaves you because I'm here as a spirit-filled, divine human God man. But I'm going to go and the Holy Spirit's going to come and indwell all of you and God will be with all of you in this very significant and remember Christ event uh, seismic change kind of ways. He's quoting Joel and saying, it happened. It happened now. And, and there's this time coming when Jesus is going to return and Jesus is going to judge and he's going to do all these other things the Old Testament said that's going to happen. And by the way, the New Testament says those too. But now is this time. But in all this, he caps it off with this. And all call upon the norm. name of the Lord will be saved. The God is saving people to the ends of of the earth. And these are the promises. Of the new, and we see this go throughout Acts. And we'll talk about the program of God in the last several minutes we have here. Okay, the power of God. We'll do one section. If you go with me to Luke chapter 3. We're in Luke. We're in chapter 3. Luke 3. Luke chapter 3. And we'll start here in verse uh, 15. So we're talking about John again. Uh, this is what I was talking about earlier, uh, as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. Remember I said they were like, this guy's different. Is he the one? They're asking, is he the one? Is he Messiah? Is he the one that's going to fix everything? John answered them all saying, I baptize with water, but he was mightier than I as coming, the strap of whose not worthy to untie. He will bat- He will baptize you with the holy uh, pardon me. He will baptize you with the holy spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his Old Testament image of judgment. He's going to come and judge the world. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and the gathering the wheat uh, into his barn but the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. He's coming. He's coming to save. And he's coming uh, and and I had the pleasure of having a class with the preeminent Luke-X, Luke-X, not Luke-and-X scholar. His name's Daryl Bach, and he's a super genius, who wrote like this much writing on Luke-X. Giant commentary, giant commentary on Acts, and a giant biblical theology on Luke-X. And he points out that he thinks that this verse is as important as John 3.16. Luke 3.16, overlooked, this is important as John 3.16, because John 3.16 deals with the fact that you and I are going to have our sins forgiven by Jesus. Luke 3.16 deals with the fact and you and I are giving new life in God. That the Holy Spirit, we're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and as Christians, this, this is describing all Christians, by the way, upon conversion, that we are empowered to live our life now for God, for His glory. So with many other exhortations... He preached good news to the people, but Herod... Oh, pardon me. Now, when all the people were baptized, when Jesus had also been baptized and were praying, here's that power piece again, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on Him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. This is how Jesus is empowered to live here on earth fully human and the Holy Spirit is how you and I are empowered to live. This is how you and I are empowered to open our Bibles and read them and understand them. This is how you and I are empowered to fight sin. This is how you and I are empowered to share the gospel. This is how you, are, you and I are empowered to love each other. Uh, this is how you and I are empowered not to put ourselves first. This is how you and I are empowered to live a life for God and this is what Luke does it. Luke starts with Jesus and extends that out to the church and the church lives in the power of the spirit that's how we do the things that we do that's how we live for god by god okay the program of god we're going to do it and then we're going to eat casserole and it's going to be awesome the program of god if you go with me to luke 24 greatest bible study in the history luke 24 serves as a great bridge between luke and acts and kind of where luke acts goes um, the very, that very day, so I'm in Luke 24, I'm in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things, that means the Jesus stuff, that happened. While they were walking... While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas, again, so you can go find Cleopas and you can go ask him, hey, did you have that awesome Bible study? Talk about all the people. If I could pick the one person I would go run down, it's Cleopas. And I would love to hear about this Bible study. Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed in deed, and word before God uh, and all people, <clears throat> and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death. Jesus came in power. He died on the cross and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had a vision, they had seen a vision of angels who sat there as uh, he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but... Him, they did not see and they said to them oh foolish he said to them oh foolish ones of heart how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken was it not necessary that the christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory and beginning with moses and the prophets he interpreted them all the scriptures said concerning himself so here in this place i'm going to cut a little bit short so here in this place jesus connects the dots from Genesis to the Christ event. He connects the dots of all of human history and drops himself as the apex. And then as Luke moves into Acts, he begins to show us how the church, the people of God, live in the the, the ripples and the effect of this reality, of this Christ event. They start in Jerusalem. And they move to Judea. And then out to Samaria. And in Samaria, a Gentile comes to know the gospel and from there on outward to the Gentiles, and this worldwide program of God to redeem all people to Himself through the cross of Jesus Christ. This is what Luke is after, that we see that the, the apex of world history, right? because we're Christians. It's not just the Bible, and that's nice for us, of world history. It's the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the ripple effects of this apex is that the church is birthed out of this reality uh, and the people of God are changed. The dividing wall between Jew and Gentile are torn down and this, this people emerges who then take the good news of this Jesus, this event, this news, this history. This is the most important thing you could ever hear. God sent his son to die that you could be forgiven and live. And that life is a life to be had in abundance. Acts ends with Paul in prison. Right? The way you can always date Luke is by not what he uh, does say but what he doesn't say. It doesn't mention the temple being destroyed in 70 AD. It doesn't mention uh, Paul and, and Peter being executed in 60 Circa 64 question mark. He leaves us with Paul in Rome. This thing that started with this supposed Galilean peasant preacher is in Rome. Rome is New York City. Rome is London. Rome is... years ago. It's changed a little bit now. 20 years ago. It's one of these cities that sits at the center of everything. And you look at it and you say... How is it even possible that this little tiny sect with this little tiny preacher has extended to the ends of the earth and continues to extend to the earth and through us extends to the earth? How is it that you and I are sitting here right now worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ and opening His Word because the church, empowered by His Spirit, carried this message of this Gospel, of this life-changing news of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you don't know Him, today is the day. There's no more important thing I could ever tell you that Jesus is who He says He was. That God has sent His Son to forgive you for your sins so that you could know God and live forever with Him in the new heavens, new earth, and the restored world that He has created. And that, that life, that eternal life, is not just quantity but quality. Life with God begins now. New life in God begins now. Not just as an individual, but as the church and as the people of God, for God and for His glory. And if you know Him, right? If, if Jesus is your God, if He is the object of your worship, does your life look like it's been hit with these seismic waves? Does your life look radically different because of Jesus? Do you do work different because of Jesus? Do you do parenting and friendship and and life and family different because of Jesus? Is your life marked out that you have been impacted by this cataclysmic event? Because all of us have had cataclysmic events in our life, for better or for worse, that absolutely change and reshape everything. Some are good, right? Marriage, the birth of children, all these wonderful things. Uh, You know, a deep friendship that that gets developed. Uh, Something happens, you move, something happens positively, but it changes everything, right? People who know you know you're different because of it. Is the Christ event one of those things? Is the person of Jesus one of those things? Has your life been radically reshaped by the reality that Jesus rose from the dead? I hope it has. If it hasn't, why not? And if it hasn't, it's not guilt trip time. If it hasn't, you're like, I love Jesus, but I don't know that my life has changed. I don't. I have changed. I have really, really, really good news for you. His word changes us. His spirit changes us. The worship of Him changes us. Drawing near to God changes us. He's promised if you draw near to Him, He will draw near to you. If you say to Jesus, if you seek Him out and say, shape my life in the shape that you want my life to be, he doesn't say, nah, maybe next week. If you let the world shape it, the world will shape you all day long. That's what the world does, right? Luke wants our life and our church and our community to be radically shaped by the Christ event in the power of the Spirit and by the truth of his word. And it's awesome. And it's a gift. And so I would just say, if you're not in on that gift, like, it's not a shame on you. It's like, get in on the party. Um, we're going to transition now to a time of communion. And I think it's really appropriate, right? We're going to take communion together, and then we're going to sing songs together, and we're going to move some tables around together, and then we're going to eat together, and we're doing life together. And then we're going to leave here and go out to job and family and work and life. And, And the hope is that everything from here on out, right, is shaped by this reality of who Jesus is. And so as we take this meal, this communion, we remember what Jesus said. This is my body broken and blood shed for you. This is the cup of the new covenant. This is, this is the introduction of your life into who Jesus is, right? When Jesus instituted, that is. And so we do what the Apostle Paul said and we consider our sins seriously and we turn from our sin and we turn to Jesus. But when we take this cup, because we've turned from our sin and turned to Jesus and repented to Jesus, we know we are forgiven, blood-bought people and we take this as a celebration. And so we take this as a celebration of the new covenant and we stand up and we sing to celebrate Jesus and we're coming together to eat to celebrate what Jesus has done. And our life is about enjoying Jesus and bringing Him all the glory and everything being lived for His name's sake. By the way, I think that's what Luke has for us. Uh, let's pray. King Jesus, Lord, I, I see areas in my life that I want conformed to the reality of the gospel. I want everything I do, everything we do as a church to be conformed to the reality of the gospel. And so I pray you would actively move in our lives, Holy Spirit, to point us to Jesus, to change us, to sanctify us, to make us Holy. I pray for us that we would listen more to the Word uh, than to the world. And that because we're listening to the Word and not the world, we go out into the world from Judea to Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth carrying the good news of Jesus and lives that are changed by Jesus for the glory of Jesus. Jesus, we do love you and we pray all these things for your glory and for our joy. In your name, Jesus Christ, amen.